Lord, we know that your kingdom will never be shaken. It is eternal. And Lord, we know things around us, they're all going to shake. They're all going to fall. So Lord, today, the next few moments, I pray that you would help us to gain this eternal perspective in such a way that we don't lose it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. When the next few Sundays, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, I think one of my hopes in, in looking at this together is that there is an eternal perspective that is given in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's an eternal perspective that helps us realize what's important and what's not. And I hope that as a church that we can be kind of recalibrated, realigned with that, that perspective, that eternal perspective. And I know that uh, maybe some of you have read through Ecclesiastes and maybe it's not your favorite book. It does have a different tone to it than uh, some of the other books of the Bible. Um, but I hope that as we go into this and talk more about it, that you'll understand a little bit about the tone in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. But I, I want to read to you something that maybe doesn't seem like it's from the book of Ecclesiastes, but it, I, I want to read it because it, it again, is uh, a focus kind of the umbrella for the next three Sundays. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. I, I believe that God has made this world prepared for the gospel. He made us, he made the world and everything in it in such a way that without him, we cannot enjoy it or really find true satisfaction. I also believe that the writings found in Ecclesiastes are there to prepare us for God's visitation revealed in Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes is a strange book if you just skim it. If you're just leafing through it, you're going to go, man, this is one weird dude. Whoever wrote this? But if you, it's, it's not light reading. It's not light reading. It, in fact, it's a philosophical book that really has to be read slowly and with contemplation. In fact, there's a lot of, if you take a, a, any courses in philosophy at a school uh, and uh, the early writings of philosophers, they might include the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a book that doesn't say much about God, really leaving that for the other 65 books of the Bible. It does tell us a lot about life, though, and it's there to keep us from living shallow, and it's there to keep us from becoming less than human. King Solomon was given the gift of wisdom by God and was known as the wisest man on earth. And in this time period of his life, Solomon decided to examine every promising thing. And then he presents an expose and rejection of every arrogance and every ignorant expectation that we live our lives on our own. Live our lives on our own terms and by ourselves. I, I want us to take a look at Solomon and his experiment as he pursues 
the empty promises of money, sex, power, and knowledge. So I want to open up with his opening words. And uh, look, look at this with me, Ecclesiastes 1-2. He says this, Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Well, uh, I, I think Sue shared a little bit about this. Um, some of our, we, we have some modern-day poets that have taken stabs at rewriting the words of Ecclesiastes in, in terms for a new generation. Uh, I think of... Uh, John Foreman with uh, Switchfoot and uh, one of their older songs, Happy is a Yuppie Word. And there's a, a portion where in the bridge where uh, he's saying not everything is meaningless, meaningless. Instead, he uses the phrase, nothing is sound. Meaning like if I was walking out here and I felt unsure about the floorboards here, I would say this floor is unsound. Well, he was saying in his song, another way of saying what Solomon said, everything's meaningless, meaningless, he says, nothing is sound. I've, and, and in the words of Solomon, I think, again, what he's saying, along with his experiment, is that I've tried everything, and I can't find meaning in it. So, all right, you're, you're getting the introduction to Solomon's writing here, but it's not his complete thesis statement. So don't, don't end with just meaningless, meaningless. It goes on. There's more. That's, that's not all of it. Take a look at what some of his opening thoughts are in the introduction of, of chapter 1. In verses 3 and 4, we're given a description of a generation coming and going, living and dying, and then the earth remaining forever, and then a, a person's work is described and a working life, but, but what does this worker gain? The opening lines are having us take a look at, at the scope of generations and the history of the earth compared to the life of one person living, working, and dying. And it's kind of like this. Um, we got some beams and stuff here. Let's, let's say, um, all right. Let's say this big arcing beam is actually not an arc, but it's a straight line, and it goes forever out that side of the building there, that way, and it goes out the side of the building that way forever and ever. And that beam is a line representing eternity. All right? So on the line of eternity, let's say that uh, from maybe the beginning of this truss right here, that, that's the beginning of the history of man right there. And, and all the way to uh, maybe uh, this blue light right here, that's where we are at present. So on the line of eternity, that's, that's the history of mankind. And then let's, let's take it to our American history. Uh, what we're, we've been a country about 236 years. So let's uh, maybe try to place it on this, on here. What's 236 years in the history of mankind? Well, we got written history of about... Uh, written history of about 6,000 years, so maybe 236, maybe something like that. There's the history of our country. Oh, wait a minute. i got to put it up by the present, going up to the present. 236, yeah. And so 236 years in the history of our country. Now try to find your life on there. And, you know, if God willing, you know, God says he usually gives a man, you know, 70 to 120 years. So, <coughs> excuse me. So pick out your life 
on that line. What is it? Your life and my life is just a dot. It's just a dot on that line of eternity. <coughs> life is brief. And in the opening lines of Ecclesiastes, we are being given perspective on the brevity of our lives. In verses 5 and 7, the cycles of the earth and the sun, the wind, and the endless water cycles described. The earth has been made with these cycles that go on and on and on. And there are times as humans, we sense the endlessness of these cycles. We sense them going on around us, and it makes us feel a little bit small and a little bit insignificant. Thank you, Derek. And, and in our own little ways, we sometimes sense a little bit of that endlessness too. I mean, tomorrow is what? Monday. Got to go to work on Monday. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to crank out some work so I can pay the bills, feed the family, and then I'm going to do it all over again the next Monday. And sometimes we feel a bit of that endless cycle. And we start looking around. We're going, what, where's, where's something different? Where's the something new? Where's the, the, the break in this endless cycle? Where, where's something that is outside of this thing that's going round and round? And in the midst of our eyes looking for something new, we hope that it will bring us some enjoyment in, in, in all the repetition. But the words here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, it says that the eye never has enough seeing, nor does the ear its fill of hearing. Our appetite to find something new is never satisfied. Well, the other thing here, <coughs> excuse me, in uh, verse 11, some people realize the briefness of their life. And because of the briefness of life, they're on a search for significance. They're trying to do something that they'll be remembered by beyond their short life. And in this search for significance, the truth that Solomon finds is that there will be no remembrance. <coughs> and we all know this well from our own lack of memory of history and the people who preceded us. I mean, just with this group of people here, we probably barely remember most of the important figures in our own American history, let alone the history of the world. Great people who do great things are often forgotten. So this is Solomon's opening. This is the opening to his writing, but don't let it take you to Depressamy Street just yet. <laughs> Solomon, he decides that, okay, I see the brevity of life, I see endless cycles, I see that uh, people aren't really remembered after they die, so I'm going to pursue some specific things. And here are the specific things I'm going to pursue, because I've seen other people in the world pursue this, and I'm going to see, is there really enjoyment, is there really fulfillment in these things? So his first pursuit is knowledge. Now, in our day and age, knowledge is a big thing. I mean, it helps you uh, land jobs. Uh, I mean, we are in the information age, and uh, even colleges and universities who used to be the powerhouse of information and knowledge are now finding themselves uh, not that source so much anymore. They're finding young people that are learning things through the Internet and gaining skills to work 
in the computer age, and they can't keep up with it. So we know that there is a pursuit of knowledge uh, in our day and age, and well, Solomon decided to go after this pursuit in his age. And here's what he records. He records that with much wisdom and knowledge come sorrow and grief. You ever, you ever experienced some of that, maybe with 24-hour news? I don't know if humans were made to really have the intake of 24-hour news. I can barely handle the bad news that happens in just one city, let alone cities all around the world. You know what? There is no satisfaction in knowledge there in and of itself. Moving into to chapter 2 with his wisdom, Solomon decides to run a controlled experiment to pursue pleasure. You know, if this was, uh, you know, Mythbusters, they would say, please don't try this at home. Leave this to experts. This is a little bit of what Solomon is kind of saying too. You know, I'm the wisest man on earth since I'm doing this controlled experiment. Um, and he says that he's going to pursue pleasure. He's going to pursue work. He's going to pursue wealth. So Solomon begins. He begins building and planting and making things. If you want to read about some of the great things that he built and made, you can read about them in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and some in 1 Kings. Uh, he takes on these great projects, monuments that are left beyond his life. He then begins amassing great wealth. In fact, he's known as one of the, the richest kings on earth in history uh, in that uh, one, it's recorded that uh, there was so much gold that it was commonplace and silver was so common it was like pebbles or stones on the ground. That was how much wealth that he had. And then in his pursuit of pleasure, of sex, he acquires a harem, what Solomon describes as the delights of the heart of a man. Money, sex, power, work, knowledge, and what did Solomon find out at the end of his experiment? We'll listen to his words. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 10 and 11. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon says in this, in this statement that the only reward he found in his experiment was the reward of finding immediate enjoyment in that present moment. That was it. Solomon later says, everything is beautiful in its time. Everything is beautiful in its time, but it's not always beautiful, not forever. Sometimes the present is all we got. Yet for many, many can't even enjoy the present. They talk about the good old days, wishing for the past, or they're always looking forward to better days ahead. It's hard to live in the present, isn't it? You know, uh, a group of men sitting together in a room and the conversation starts to lull, what happens? Yeah, pull out the phone, check your messages. If you've got a smartphone, you're doing some other things on there. It's hard to even be present with the people that you're with in the same room. It's hard to live in the present. 
I want to come back to this thought on the potential for us to enjoy the present. But know that at this moment in Solomon's experiment, after the immediate enjoyment of the present moment, he then reflected back on it. And he couldn't see any meaning or purpose in what he had done. He found it to be empty. Now the next thoughts of Solomon take us to even a darker place. Solomon says that after his experiment, that Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17, 20, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me, and he might be a fool. And so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Okay, Shannon, I wasn't at Depressamy Street before, but now I am. I came here this Sunday to get fed, to get some spiritual nourishment, and what do you give me? Well, today, the Word of God presented today, it isn't a meal. It's a bath. It's not food today that we're getting, but a cleansing. It is repentance. Today, we're going to get scrubbed clean from illusion and sentiment, from ideas that are idolatrous. We're being called to halt our futile attempts to make something out of our lives so instead we can give our full attention to God. Our naive optimism of expecting the good life from money, sex, power, and knowledge is being challenged by the Word of God here. You know, there are a lot of lush and seductive suggestions swirling around us in the world that we live in. Things promising us everything, but delivering nothing. Things promising us everything, but then delivering nothing. But here's the hope in all this darkness. The truth is, is that God designed it all this way on purpose so that you would be prepared for the gospel, for the good news. I, I haven't come to Solomon's conclusion, but I, I do have to point out now that God designed the problems and God designed the questions so that if we honestly face those problems and questions, and when all the air has cleared, we're ready for the reality of who God is. Eternal perspective on our brief lives is humbling. We are just a mist that appears and then disappears. God created the problem of not finding satisfaction in this world. He set eternity in our hearts. You know, there are just a few things in the Bible that are described as eternal. God himself is described as eternal, the eternal king. His word is eternal. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And the Bible also says that every human soul is eternal, going beyond the boundaries of time set for earth and for other created things. A soul will spend eternity either with God in heaven or eternally separated from him in hell. And since you have a soul in you that is made for eternity, the things of this earth, which are temporary, 
and not eternal will never truly satisfy. You were made for eternal things. You were made for eternity with God. You were designed for this. That's why this world will never satisfy. There is only one thing that will satisfy your soul, and that is God himself. And this is where the elementary teachers have taken a very deep, philosophical, and spiritual truth and done their best to put it in concrete terms for children. They say it something like this. Children, every person is made with a hole in their heart. Yes, there's a hole in your heart. No, you can't see it. It's on the inside, and, and it's, a, it's a God-shaped hole. And children, there's only one thing that will fit in that God-shaped hole. Is it money? No, money won't fit in your God-shaped hole. No. Is it relationships? No, that won't fit in there either. And is it knowledge? No. What is it, boys and girls? What fits in your God-shaped hole? God. Yeah. It's only God who will fit in your God-shaped hole. Now Solomon says this in a more philosophical way as you pull together his final thesis statement from Ecclesiastes. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Everything is empty without God. Everything is meaningless. Without God, you'll not be able to fully enjoy life. Now, we do know, and even not just from people around us, but we know from Solomon's experiment. He said, I found enjoyment in the moment, in the present moment. But then when I went past it, I looked back on it, it was empty. So we know that there is the ability to enjoy the moment, enjoy the present. But I want you to know that God brings purpose to everything in life. With God, money, sex, and power and knowledge can have purpose. And there can be enjoyment in them that goes beyond just the present moment. Solomon's concluding remarks echo the words of eternal perspective and brevity of our life. He says this in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. And in verse 6, Remember God before the cord of life is severed and your spirit returns to God who gave it. Don't wait until the end of life to realize that the point of life was to know and enjoy God and that you're made to know and enjoy Him for eternity. Nate's going to come on up here and I'm going to wrap this up. But if you've already discovered dissatisfaction of the empty promises of money, sex, power, and knowledge, then you have run into eternity that God has set in your heart. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing that you ran into that. Today, 
you can recognize that you were designed for eternal things and that you're made to enjoy God himself. Now, if you're at the place where you're just discovering God in Jesus Christ, or you're maybe someone who's been walking with Christ for a while, but you still experience emptiness in, in work, and some of the knowledge, the things that you learn in relationships, then I want you to know two things. You can invite God into those parts of your life and ask him to allow you to live in the present with him. You know, Melissa talked about in her testimony the throne, and she, sat on the th- she was told about Christ coming into her life, but she sat on the throne and she said, no, Jesus, you, I, I got the throne. You can just kind of have uh, this outside, uh, outside counsel in my life. But I want you to know that in every part of your life, you can invite God into it so that you can enjoy it to its fullest. Because God made everything for you. He prepared this world for you to live in it. But he wants to live it with you. The second thing, if you still run into the emptiness of things in life, I want you to know this. The scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want you to know, once you've tasted the Lord, there is nothing that compares or satisfies as much. Yes, you're going to do those things that you once enjoyed in the past, but it just isn't going to compare to the moments that you have with the Lord. They never will. Though through God's gift you can enjoy the present life, there will always be a slight longing left in you for something that lasts, for something eternal, not something temporary, something that longs for God himself. C.S. Lewis called it the, the ache of joy. That's in every believer. What you're longing for is heaven. You're longing for eternity with God. That's the ache you'll sometimes still feel in this life. That's eternity in your heart. God made you for him alone. Would you guys stand with me right now? We're going to close together in worship, but I'd like you to continue thinking about this imaginary span of eternity and this little bit of human history, this little tiny bit of American history, and then that little tiny dot that That's my life and your life on that line. And think about the bigness of who our God is and what he's made and how he's set eternity in your hearts. Dear God, help us to gain an eternal perspective, to know how brief life is. And Lord, I pray that we have learned to invite you in to every moment of our life, that we can be truly satisfied with you and you alone. In Jesus' name.